Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. This week's guest is Nicole Bowles. She is on the podcast this week. She is a speech pathology student attending U of T's master's program. She's going to introduce herself a little bit. You can find her at Speech Bright Co. And I'm also going to link that in the bio of the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Can you introduce yourself a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've never been on a podcast before, so this is very exciting. Um, Well, to begin with, you hit the nail on the head. I'm an SLP grad student, but I originally started as a literacy specialist. So I help kids who have difficulties with reading and writing. Um, I do that at a private practice and I'm working under a wonderful SLP who actually drove me to get into grad school. So that's where I'm at right now. Awesome. So another Canadian um, SLP. I love having, I feel like so many of the SLPs on Instagram and everything that I connect with are from the States. So it's nice to have you on. Okay. So because of this background in literacy, we've been talking and Nicole knows a lot more. I am not someone who knows a lot about literacy. That's just not an area that I'm very familiar with. I feel like I didn't learn a lot about it in grad school. I'm just more comfortable with other things. So I'm really excited. I'm going to learn a lot from you today too. We're going to talk about red flags parents and SLPs can watch for when it comes to literacy. We're going to talk about different approaches. We're going to talk about the reading wars. Um, to start with, can we just talk about why we should care about how kids are taught to read? Like, why is that so important? Yeah. So literacy not only impacts children's academic outcomes, but research has shown that um, children who can't read proficiently don't have as many um, work outcomes as other people, that they are more likely to end up in the juvenile detention system. So it not only becomes um, uh, like an issue in school, it becomes a, a much broader issue than that. And so we're doing it for our kids so that they can become, you know, people who can contribute to society. Um, and so it's it's much larger than what people think of it as. Uh, if that's the best way that I can explain it, let me know if I... Yeah, definitely. And it makes me think of how, um, like, a lot of us um, in this community probably have heard this before, but if you haven't, I think it, it just explains it so well. It's like kids up to a certain point, grade three, four ish, or hopefully sooner, they switch from the focus being on learning to read to reading to learn. And so if they are falling behind, they're actually now going to be having a big impact on their ability to learn the content in the classroom and learn things that they're doing because so much of the classroom is based on literacy skills. And if you miss the boat on learning to do that, you're going to have, it's going to have a very negative impact on your academic success. So yeah, that makes total sense. Um, can we dive yeah, into totally. the reading wars? You first mentioned it to me and I'm going to be totally honest with everyone. So in case anyone else does not know about the reading wars, like, I didn't either. What are the reading wars? I want to, I want to learn more about this. Yeah. And I didn't even know about the reading wars until I started my profession as a literacy instructor. So, um, you know, it's a life long uh, journey of learning in the science of reading. Um, so we can get get to that later on. But in order to sort of introduce the reading words as best as I can, it's essentially just two schools of thought on how people think we should be teaching kids how to read. And so there are two different approaches. There's the phonics approach and there's 
um, a second approach called the whole word or the whole language approach. And essentially, if we turn to the whole language approach first, these advocates think that essentially learning how to read is just like learning to speak, that it comes naturally to us and that it doesn't require any formal instruction. Um, so these people, they might advocate for um, like focusing on the meanings behind words rather than children actually learning the correspondence between the letters and the sounds. And then if we look on the other side of that pendulum, we have the phonics approach. And that's when teachers and educators, they think that the early literacy uh, instruction starts with that letter sound correspondence and explicitly teaching those kids that. So that's the reading words in a nutshell. For anyone listening who they're brand new people interested in this field of speech pathology and they're not used to it, for the phonics approach, that would be like phonemic awareness, like understanding that a K sounds like a K, like things like that, right? And like phonemic awareness, like rhyming and all of that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So then knowing we have these two approaches, you as a literacy specialist, what what's your opinion? What do you think is like the quote unquote right way to teach reading and writing then to kids? Yeah, so of course there is controversy surrounding this, but in my opinion and from my personal experiences, the phonics approach has worked for me and my kids. To me, it, it's evidence-based and there is so much research out there that suggests that this is how we should be teaching our kids how to read. Um, and so the way that I approach things when I first get a kid, um, you know, and I'm going through their history and figuring out, okay, what skills do they have? What skills do they need to develop further? Um, I usually tend to follow certain principles of intervention. And um, so the first ones being, I want to make sure that our sessions are contextualized. So for example, I want to use vocabulary items or books that the children has seen in their classrooms or in other contexts so that then we can, or that child can then apply those skills that we're teaching during our literacy sessions across different contexts. Um, and so this will usually occur um, by collaborating with a teacher. You know, it doesn't always collaboration interdisciplinary practice you know it, like it's easier said than done. Um, but that would be the first one is just making sure that it's contextualized. Um, the second one that phonics instruction is based around is it being explicit. So we want to make sure um, that we're being conscious and we're, we're discussing exactly what we're doing with the child and why it's important and why we're doing it. Um, so we're kind of going through it very explicitly rather than implicitly. Um, we also want to make sure that that it's systematic so that we're teaching things in an order that it's that is hierarchical and that makes sense so we might be starting with things that are easier than harder so for example when i'm going through phonics instruction i might start with m mm as the first sound of instruction because that is an easier sound to produce. It's an easier sound for kids to make correspondence with. Um, we can talk about that further later on, but that is essentially explicit instruction. I then also want it to be systematic um, and I want it to be functional. So I want it, I want to make sure that I'm teaching the most commonly occurring words when it comes to vocabulary or just that things will make sense for that kid in other contexts, like we mentioned in the under the contextualized principle. Um, there are a couple others. So we want to make sure that our literacy sessions or our reading programs are tailored and adapted to fit the needs of each individual student. Obviously, if a kid needs more practice in a certain area, then we might want to develop those skills a little bit. It makes 
common sense. But again, it's a little bit easier said than done, especially if you're a teacher with 30 kids in a classroom. Um, you know, it can be really tough. And my heart goes out to those teachers that have to deal with so many kids at once. Um, and then just to move on, we also want to make sure that it's cumulative. So we tend to, we, you know, we want to build on what was previously taught and we want to make sure that it's diagnostic so that we're keeping track of the client's progress and that what we're doing is actually obviously bringing in results and positive results. So yeah, those are just a few things that I want to focus on during literacy. All right. Then when we're thinking about how to do this, is that where like the models of reading come into play? Yeah, totally. So the simple view of reading just states that in order to become a skilled reader, we need to have two things. We need to be able to decode. So see letters on the page, be able to correspond them with sounds and then blend them together. And then we also need comprehension. So we need to be able to understand what we're reading. And in order to be a skilled reader, we need both of those things. So essentially those skills multiply each other. So decoding and comprehension need to um, intertwined together in order to make a skilled reader. So that's the simple view of reading. And of course, all these principles can apply to both models. The second model being the Scarborough's reading rope. And the Scarborough's reading rope is a little bit more, there's a lot more to it. So it essentially contains a whole bunch of skills that will eventually intertwine together or um, get tighter in order to create that or develop into a skilled reader. So for example, if we turn to the reading part um, in, in the simple view of reading, in order to be able to read um, you know, effortlessly and automatically, we need to have the alphabetic principle. So that's knowing the correspondences between the letters and the sounds. We need to have a sufficient breadth of and depth of vocabulary to be able to um, kind of create that semantic schema in our mind when a word comes up and when we decode it, we need to have sight word recognition. So we need to be able to pull apart the words off the page as quickly as we do. For us, it comes so naturally, but for a kid, it's kind of like, you know, it's like learning new symbols from, from the beginning and being able to not only memorize those syllables, but be able to you know, as I mentioned, use the alphabetic principle to correspond the letters and the sounds as, as quickly as we do. So it's definitely a challenge for little kids and it's something that need, they need to be explicitly taught. It makes me think of when like only speech pathologists and speech pathology students are going to, well, undergrad students too are going to relate to this, but it's like when we were taught the IPA, which if anyone's interesting, it's the International phonetic alphabet and it has all the different symbols but like the beauty of it is that every single symbol has a one-to-one -one correspondence with a sound which is so nice because like in when we're thinking about learning these letters it's kind of tricky for kids because at the sound could be ph or f and that sound could be c or k but the ipa has a one-to-one -one correspondence but I remember learning it and I remember thinking in like first year undergrad, it was tricky to learn it. I had to like memorize all these new symbols and learn to read these new symbols. And it's kind of, we can relate to like little kids in that way where it's like, it's actually pretty hard and they're so young and they're trying to like learn this entire new alphabet. That's a lot trickier than the IPA because there's so many rules in a way, like some sounds have more than one uh, or some symbols have more than one sound and all of that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Learning the IPA for me did not come overnight. It was a process. So. 
Yeah. And then for the models, so then would both models you kind of walked over be part of the um the phonics approach then? Because they both talk about more like decoding and things like that. And the whole language approach doesn't have as much focus on decoding. Yeah, I would definitely say so. So both the Scarbo's robe and the simple view of reading is more tied around the phonics approach. It's more evidence-based and there's a lot more um with as you said looking at not only the decoding aspects, so being able to decode one symbol, you know, symbol by symbol, and then blending them together, but also getting in, for example, your background knowledge, your vocabulary knowledge to then comprehend those words and be able to effortlessly read the words on the page. So, so yeah, I would say yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So then naturally, like my thoughts that I, I'm thinking when we're, when we're talking about these approaches, I'm like, at what point should we be worried about a child's literacy skills? Like at what point should, should a parent feel like, oh, this is maybe a red flag or this is maybe something to be of concern or how about like parents or SLPs? Like at what point, what are some red flags that we should look out for for these little ones? Okay, so if your child is in preschool, then they should probably be able to produce rhyming words. They should start dividing words into syllables. They should begin sort of dividing words into phonemes. So for example, cat, cat. Um, so that's preschool level. And so if you notice that these things are um, a little bit harder for your kid, something to watch out for, but um, it's not until they're about six years old when they should start writing those words, um, writing those sentences, blending those sounds together. So as they're writing um, a sentence that they should be able to actually, um, you know, they should say the sounds that they're writing on the page letter by letter. So for example, if I'm writing, I like cats, I want to go, I, I, cats. Um, we want to make sure that they're able to decode those nonsense words. So, um, you know, in the English language, we have a pretty um, structured phonological system and certain sounds can't go together in certain words. And so we want to make sure that the kid understands that they can decode nonsense words because even though they're nonsense, they certain letters in those words can still go together and they can still be decoded as such. Um, and then a six-year-old should be able to segment words into syllables. So they should be given, you know, a bunch of syllables or a syllable, um, you know, maybe three syllables in a word, um, unblended, and then they should be able to blend it together. So that, um, those are some things to watch out for when your kid is about six. And then at a time when your kid gets from, you know, starts grade two, um, they should be able to spell a little bit better. They should be able to um, grip the pencil correctly. They should have an increased enjoyment when it comes to reading and, and writing. And then we also want to make sure that they're able to actually um, acquire and put down those reading strategies that they've been taught at school. So we want to make sure that they're actively trying to decode the words syllable by syllable or that they're able to parse out some meaningful things in order to figure out the meaning. So for example, in the word otolaryngology, um, that they can make sure that they know, oh, auto means X, laryngology means Y, and then they can, you know, put those together to then infer meaning or figure out, okay, this is what this word means and based on the context as well as the morphemes in the word. Um, so 
that's just a very basic overview of some red flags to look out for. But if you have any concerns, I would definitely recommend that you see an SLP yeah. or talk to the teacher. Mm-hmm. And also like, I'm thinking that a lot of kids, those are almost like the milestones, right? Because a lot of kids are hitting those way earlier, you know? So it's like, if mm-hmm. you're at that stage, you almost want to be like, I look at milestones, like that's like the last, <laughs> like, that's like the last point at which that should have happened, you know, yeah. like yeah. it should almost come much sooner. Um, yeah. Okay. So what are some, just to kind of wrap up our whole talk, like resources for parents and SLPs and what are some like main takeaways for our chat today? And then we were also saying that we can dive into more specific topics later. If anyone's like super interested in a certain area of what we chatted about today is more of an overview, but um, yeah. So recommended resources for parents and SLPs. Totally. So starting with SLPs, um, one resource that I have found really helpful is some of the science of reading Facebook groups. So there's one called science of reading, what I should have learned in college. And it's super helpful. There are so many like supportive teachers on there that share resources and, um, yeah, there's just a plethora of information on those groups. So I would definitely recommend checking that out. It can be a little bit overwhelming at times because there's just so much information. But if you're an SLP, if you want to get more resources, it's really helpful. I find to just go in the search bar and seeing what other people have to say about X topic. And then, you know, that can then start off your research down that path. In terms of like, if you're a parent, I would definitely recommend looking at places like improvingliteracy.org. This is a website that contains a whole bunch of liter- of literacy resources for parents and families. So there are different like webinars that they can check out that sort of geared towards um, families and that you know, talks more in lay terms. Um, There's a lot of topics for children who are just beginning to read or who even want to develop those early pre-literacy emergent skills. And so that can be super helpful. There are also a few other websites. So there's one called phonograms.com. And for parents who are, you know, sort of uh, strengthening those skills that are being taught in school. So if their child is learning through the letter sound correspondences and they're not sure like, oh, that the letter T, I actually need to cut off that up. A lot of times parents will add that schwa at the end of the whispered sounds, like instead of tuh, we want to say t right? Um, So the phonograms.com, that is a website that contains all of the graphemes in English. And then you can also check the pronunciation of each one. So if a parent wants to go through those letters or is working on a specific sound with their child, they can go on that website, see exactly what the pronunciation is, and then make sure that, you know, just just be a little bit more certain that um, they're offering accurate graphing letter course or graphing phoneme correspondences to their kid. Thank you so much for going through that. I'm going to link all of that in the description of the bio. So everyone can just click and go to those resources to wrap it up. What are some takeaways you want to share with everyone um, about this topic? It's such an interesting topic. Like I'm excited. I don't even think I've had, I don't think I've had any, anyone on yet to talk about literacy. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm really excited to have had you on, but yeah. So any takeaways? Yeah, so I would say takeaway number one is to take what I say with a grain of salt and to dive a little bit deeper into research yourself. So this way you can really critically appraise the articles on your own behalf. Um, And if you're new to the science of reading, I know it can be overwhelming, but 
to, uh, to look to those resources that I mentioned before and to know that this is, you know, not just something that you're going to learn once and be done with it. I'm still learning and it's, it's been really eye-opening to get other people's perspectives. So I would definitely reach out to, again, that Facebook group, talk to other people who are also an, you know, if you're an educator, talk to other people who um, have differing opinions. I think that that can be really beneficial to collaborate with other people and get different perspectives. So that's takeaway number one. Um, I would also ask yourself during your literacy intervention, if you are providing that to kids, if you're following the seven principles of instruction that we talked about today. So making sure that um, it's tailored to the kid, making sure that you're building on what was previously taught in your sessions, making sure that you're always checking if your kids understand, if you need to go backwards, if you need to, you know, reteach a certain concept. Uh, time and time again, I go through the sounds that I've taught my kids or some of my kids, and then I notice, oh, you know, we haven't really got that one sound down yet, so we need to go back, and and that's okay. And then also just being contextualized, so making sure that it aligns with what that kid is learning in the classroom. If you're a literacy instructor providing services elsewhere, um, making sure that it's explicit, that your instruction is systematic, and that it's functional, that it's actually leading to change in your child's life. Um, I would also encourage anyone who's listening to be a little bit more multi-sensory when it comes to literacy instruction. I know we didn't talk about this too much, but in my sessions, we are, you know, gung-ho on multi-sensory instruction. So we want to make sure that the kid is learning in as many ways as possible. We want to get out our, you know, kinesthetic learners and making sure we're making sure that we're moving around. Um, so a lot of the times what I do is when we're parsing out syllables or sounds in a word, we'll jump for each sound. And I'll, you know, I've, I have Zoom sessions right now. So we'll even do that over the, you know, over the Zoom call. And it's been, a, you know, I've had to adapt, but uh, it can be done online. And of course, it can be done in person. And to me, I found that it makes a huge difference if you can make it multisensory. It just, it, um, it allows for the kid to process the information a little bit deeper. It allows them to really consolidate those memories. And I found that it really helps. Um, I think last but not least, I would just want to conclude by saying that if the child isn't interested or is getting frustrated, we want to kind of dial back and focus on that piece instead, because we know that reading difficulties are associated with externalizing. So a lot of behavioral issues and internalizing. So a lot of those emotional issues. And so obviously we don't want our kiddos to break down because then um, they won't want to, they won't want to learn how to read. They won't want to continue. So we want to provide our students with as much um, encouragement and support as possible and, you know, without harming um, them and, and, you know, further increasing those potentially harmful coping strategies that they've been using and, and rather assisting them to develop more of those productive or sorry, protective strategies. So those are the couple takeaways that I have. Um, hopefully those resonated with you, but thank you, Shannon, so much. Again, this is a really cool experience. Yeah. Thank you so much for walking through the takeaways and everything. I really like how you started off with saying, take everything with a grain of salt, because I was just chatting with my boyfriend yesterday about how 
like right now in the podcasting world, there's so much bias. We're talking about the Joe Rogan stuff. Yeah. And we were just going on and on. And anyways, all this to say, like when you're listening to this, anyone listening to this podcast, um, I've been, this has been on my mind because I've been talking so much with people lately about how um, there can be so much bias and which is good in a lot of ways. And, but then in other ways it can be harmful. And I, I love how you just started off with saying, take this with a grain of salt and do your own research. And I want to say that more when I'm doing my podcast, everyone at the end of the day does need to do their own research before they form opinions, not even thinking about this as much from our conversation, but I've just had it on my mind so much from all the Joe Rogan stuff. And it's like, everyone needs to take things with a grain of salt when they're listening to it, you know, like not everyone's word is gospel. <laughs> like, Anyway, so I love that was like, I, I want to have that more. Um, I want to yeah. like discuss that more in my podcast in more episodes, because I exactly. think it's important to encourage people like do your own research, but like, yeah. here's some information that's evidence-based for you and you should look at it too, to, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think like at the end of the day, do what works for you and your clients. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think you're going to be such an amazing SLP. I can't believe you're only an, like a grad student. <laughs> I honestly, the way you're like communicating all this information and everything, I just feel like you're going to be such an awesome SLP. Like I'm really excited for you Thank um, you. and for your future clients. It's been so fun to have you on. Thank you so much, Shannon. Hope to chat soon. Okay, perfect. That's Nicole at Speech Bright Co. Make sure you check her out. And then if you guys were like loving this conversation on literacy, let me know what topics you want us to dive into and we can do another podcast. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Shannon. Okay, I'll see everybody next Monday.